Second learning, I would say, is power of storytelling, mm-hmm. and designers especially are is like equipped to do this better than anyone else, right? So one of the things that we did for YouTube Kids is we created like product story video, and the motivation for creating this was we were having these like back and forth conversations with various people in the company around like what's the best way to design this experience, right? And we. The, you know the design strategists that partnering with uh, came up with this idea of like hey what if like you know we tell this in the form of a story yeah, it was almost like creating an ad for the product mm-hmm. before it was built right and showcasing like how the product fits into people's lives uh, using real examples we created a product story video it was a very relatable video we took in like pictures of a real family in a real household environment and you know put in mocks of screens how you know like kids you know kid friendly experience design from the ground up could could fit into this family usage of youtube and by the end of like watching this 2 minute video you know people's mindset would completely change and got a lot of adoption like it was watched by like 2000 people within the company over and the conversation shifted from the arguments around like the, the nuances or the numbers or the spreadsheets and the documents where we would list out the pros and cons and so on into something more human more relatable it's like product story how they achieve that shift in conversation welcome to design drives your audio experience about what how and why design drives things forward A podcast hosted by Sebastian Gear together with forward-thinking design practitioners from around the world. In this episode at UX India, I talk with Shiva Jaini, who is a process manager at Google during the UX India conference in Hyderabad. We talk about why and how design drives entrepreneurship, so basically internal entrepreneurship. Shiva has been quite successful doing exactly that during his time at Google, driving efforts like YouTube Kids from an idea to an actual product internally. and then joining an internal incubator to invent new experiences and services on the base of the Google Assistant voice in the kitchen area where we talk a bit about the importance of designing contextually and using a multimodal interaction design approach these days he's a project manager for transportation and urban mobility systems at Google and he shares his insights on how design can be a driving force for new innovations and product experiences by creating confidence and visions so enjoy so i'm here with chiva jaini from who is a product design manager at google right mm-hmm. so we were excited to speak to you same here uh, so we have a lot of you know a lot of interesting topics we touch on and we're going to talk a little bit about entrepreneurship about your work at google some of your work it will for google yeah. maybe to give the audience a little bit of context about your background and who you got into design in the first place and yeah. you know coming from india yeah. so um, maybe you can share that sure yeah i think like my entry into design was somewhat of a you know happy accident uh-huh. <laughs> so i was looking at like what programs to get into for my undergrad and i was preparing for like getting into the iits indian institutes of uh, technology and i came across this uh, undergrad program in design so this is at uh, iit guwahati uh-huh. uh, it's in the northeast part of india uh-huh. and you know it's i've never heard of like design before yes uh, but like when i looked at the description program description it had things like product design visual communication and animation when being offered in a staying you know 
uh, Technological Institute. And I got curious. So I learned a bit more than, uh, you know, because it was like one of the only undergrad programs at the time. I thought I was somewhat like taking a bit of risk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I went with it and there was no looking back from there. Yeah. You know, I loved in general, like empathizing with people and understanding their needs and uh, solving problems, you know, that we would discover from talking to them and understanding them and so on. So I love that aspect about, you know, a design, um, which gets to, you know, at its essence, it's about like problem solving through through almost like a scientific process, right? Mm-hmm. And I think like the undergrad program also had a great influence right like the the people I was exposed to uh, and you know the professors and the curriculum was very unique in the way it was set up mm-hmm. so all of that like shaped my uh, world view of things I think uh, having that strong foundation to look at problems from a holistic point of view looking at it from every angle right think about problems from technology standpoint from business standpoint but then at the essence of it like how does the usual like address the you know the core uh, needs of the people mm-hmm. so all of those i think like strong foundations were laid during that undergrad program and i then like further continued my masters in human computer interaction mm-hmm. um, after my undergrad program and from then on i've been working in the tech industry mm-hmm. was that in mm-hmm. in india as well you were you were so masters was at georgia tech in uh-huh. in the us mm-hmm. uh, and so that was the time you transitioned to the us correct yeah. correct yeah and it was also a very interdisciplinary program so the human computer interaction program was coordinated uh, across like three schools uh, college of computing you know information design and technology and the school of psychology mm-hmm. so it had all aspects uh, that i was talking about earlier on behavioral sciences mm-hmm. you know uh, technology mm-hmm. and then what was your first internship after your graduation But did you already did some, you know, internship during your studies? Yeah. So during my undergrad program, I did an internship, T-Systems in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Oh, in Berlin. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it was actually like, uh, you know, it was in 2007. But even at that time, we were looking at how can AR experience help influence commerce? Okay. <laughs> When was that? What year was it? It was in 2007. 2007. Yeah. yeah. So the, the the tech or the prototype that we were building was you take a picture of your living environment mm-hmm. and we would insert products in that picture okay. or video that you take in a photorealistic way for you to visualize how the product that you purchase mm-hmm. could look in you know the real world. So, the, you know, at that point, it was more of a research project, but now it's more of a reality, right? Yeah, like with, with AR abilities on all your, you know, phones, uh, you can actually, you know, fulfill that in a very easy way. Kind of talks about like how how long it can take like for new technologies to become mainstream. Absolutely. Yeah. So then you did your know, internship at uh, T-Systems, right? In Berlin, yeah. right? And then what were some of your other experiences after graduation? And during my master's, I, I did an internship at Yahoo Research. That was my first exposure to mobile technology and they're uh, working on mobile yeah it's on the, the mobile applications not right. the web which assumed to that time it was mostly web was the main product right correct correct uh, yeah but you worked on mobile there already yeah 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 so georgia tech was part of the mobile technologies group where we were looking at location-based applications around like you know discovering of places nearby uh, and so on 
but this was all like you know developing stuff for like your Nokia devices which had like <laughs> yeah significantly low capabilities compared to you know the, the first iPhone for example yeah 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 <laughs> Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, all of those learnings and like the path I've taken afterward, you know, after graduation, I joined Yahoo and then at Google as well. So I think like everything, I mean, looking back were like stepping stones and like, you know, great learning experiences that I was able to build on top of each other. Mm-hmm. So what, uh, when did you join Google? In 2011. So 2011. it's been uh, eight, eight and a half years mm-hmm. now, I guess. So uh, we already chatted a little bit about that before. I think what was super interesting was the experiences you had at Google so far. Yeah. You came into YouTube, right? Correct. And then you worked, I don't know if you, did you work directly on YouTube Kids or was that you know, happening after? No. Uh, so I was working, I first joined as the, you know, first designer on YouTube ad experiences, mm-hmm. thinking about consumer facing ad experiences and defining like the principles around like how we design like video ads and making them so as the you know a designer of the skippable ad experience mm-hmm. making it and we call it like true view in the, in the sense that you know youtube had this we have this interesting balancing act that we need to do among the needs of uh, creators who are uploading content and they need to make money for you know the content that they're creating and sustain themselves and for end users who are consuming the content, you know, making it as less disruptive as possible with mm-hmm. ads. Mm-hmm. For advertising partners uh, to create like a quality bar for them, right? And, and TrueView was a really interesting solution that balanced all these needs and motivated like advertisers to create or engage the audience in the first five seconds. And, you know, the advertiser would get charged only if like end user watches through the entire ad, right? Mm-hmm. If, uh, if he doesn't skip after five seconds, does it? Right? Correct, correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was an interesting experience, like, you know, thinking about this balancing act and how do you do, define principles in a way that doesn't cause frustration for end users. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, you know, content creators are able to monetize the content that they're, you know, putting there. Mm-hmm. You uh, have to give them certain guidelines as well, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah design guidelines and so on. So yeah. it's super interesting. Yeah. And then uh, while I was doing this, I was also you know, interested in exploring the potential of YouTube in the space of education and enrichment. And uh, I was doing this like, you know, at Google, like you have this 20% time that you can spend mm-hmm. on, you know, projects that uh, excite you. So I was devoting 20% of my time towards that effort. And YouTube Kids kind of like was born from that, you know, 20% experience. We were looking at hey, you know, if you think about education and like, you know, uh, enrichment of true content, there is a wide spectrum of users who consume this type of content. And we thought like it's best to, you know, pick a segment of users and focus on, you know, meeting those needs of those users, right? So we, we ended up focusing on like young kids for whom like the content was exploding. And that was like, the origins of like YouTube kids. And I ended up like shifting 100% of my time towards, you know, pitching and and getting the leadership buy-in and uh, investing, like I shifted like from working on ad experiences uh, to completely Completely focus on- Afterward opening up as a complete product, right? Yeah, Yeah. correct. So was that really driven, just driven by you or did you find other fellows who you pitched them to and they jumped in, I assume so, right? Yeah, yeah. So there were two others. Engineering and yeah. Yeah, so initially there were two others. One was a colleague uh, who was a design strategist. He came from IDEO 
Then another is a product management director that we worked very closely with. It was pretty much like the three of us initially. Mm-hmm. All designers then, right? So uh, you said like a product manager as well, right? Correct, yeah. correct. And, you know, it, it, once we were able to get the leadership buy-in, like then, the, you know, we the, the team expanded quite fast and we got like all types of you know leaders come in and work on the product. Yeah. But initially, like the early days, it was just the, you know, three of us trying to make a case for building a standalone product, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a common behavior you see with people, right, that they, or parents that they, you know, give you know, the smartphone to their kids, right, mm-hmm. and open YouTube. Uh-huh. And uh, so I wonder a little bit about the design process there. And I, you know, did you speak to parents like how did you know like how did you came up with the principle like how do you need to redesign youtube so yeah. it fits for that yeah. specific user group right yeah yeah and then also i think parents have the constraints on that as well right they, they just certain content and you know, right, so I, wanna, right. I think the design process there yeah i think yeah i mean so actually my talk tomorrow i'm going to be talking more oh, some of the more uh, specific steps and de- details around the design process the youtube kids and and some of the other projects but i think i like get a high level as you said like you know engaging with parents and kids to understand their you know desires and aspirations and needs around like their kids consumption of youtube was a core part of like the design process and one of the methods we use quite a bit is uh, co-design method- methods so we would do co-design sessions with parents we would do co-design sessions with kids mm-hmm. to get inspiration as to like uh, what is it that families are looking for in an ideal like experience mm-hmm. for them and using all these insights that we would gather from these co-design sessions we developed like some design principles and in terms of like design challenges there were quite a few but then I, i can probably mention two of them mm-hmm. one of them i'd say is the product we were trying to cater the experience to a wide range of kids and what we realized is you know the interests and abilities of a three year old is vastly different from what a nine year old would want in terms of content preferences or experience preferences and also abilities so you know if you think about like a three year old or even a five year old it's really hard for them to read text uh, and you know type in a query for example mm-hmm. so voice as an input mechanism was uh, something you know really you know uh, prioritize quite a bit mm-hmm. did you it enable comes... it via touch or how did you prioritize voice yeah because it's not as a core it's not a core prin- interaction principle of youtube right so right right so uh, we had like a button there to you know people could you know, speak into instead of type right? correct yeah. correct yeah and then uh, we would also like make the default experience very content and visual rich mm-hmm. we've stripped down as much text as possible from the experience right right yes. like you know because you know like for this age group of kids like even the ones like who are able to read like six six seven year olds mm-hmm. probably yeah, yeah exactly and so we made like visual richness of the content shine and come through the ui mm-hmm. and then the second uh, challenge i would say is you know parents you know as you said like parents expectations and needs are you know, different from from kids and so for us like it was really important to create a product that was responsible and, and well thought out in terms of explaining to the parents how the app works mm-hmm. and uh, explaining to them like what kind of controls they have to customize the experience so they you know to their needs and values and so on right so it was important like for us to not just design the controls but also make them easily understandable like for for mm-hmm. parents so that they set it up right way for their mm-hmm. kids and when it comes to these like 
the age differences of kids, right? Like one of the principles we came up with is this thing called a grow up to experience, uh, wherein like the interface or the experience would adapt as kids grow and uh, their abilities grow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the the way we present the content or the actions that you can take as a kid, like would, uh, would adapt as uh, kids' interests mm-hmm. and abilities change. Mm-hmm. Super interesting. Yeah. I wonder a little bit about the, the process, the, the internal process, you know, of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And you know how does it? You know, maybe you as a designer, you had uh, two designers working on it, or one product manager. So it was you know quite design driven. Yeah. And some people are like designer driven. Yeah. So you know how was it to you know being a designer and trying to you know push such a project forward? And I, I guess it had to have a project manager yeah. also on site, right? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, he has maybe some other connections, you know, to be, to you know get people involved and. You know. Right. So how's that? You know, how did that process like? And maybe you know. How now did your background in design help you maybe? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think it was overall like a very powerful learning experience for me. Like the the process of like, mm-hmm. you know, pitching, the getting the buy-in and then actually like making progress on it. This, yeah, entire process of like uh, YouTube Kids Origin was offered a lot of like learning experiences for me. And I'd say like, you know, I'd stress on like maybe two things that I learned uh, mm-hmm. around like the role of design in, in influencing Entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And, and getting the buy-in and so on, right? Like one is this, you know, going or approaching the problem with a beginner's mindset. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important, right? Like as designers or in general, like as a team, when you're trying to design something for a new set of users or a new market or a new problem space, to go with a design, uh, you know, beginner's mindset. And it's always a challenge because, you know, in our case, like for people who had kids of themselves, you would have preconceived notions and assumptions around, oh, my kid is able to do these things and, and universal, universally apply those assumptions and preconceived notions to everyone, right? Mm-hmm. When you take a beginner's mindset, you kind of like go with the clean slate and you these principles by talking to actual people like you know average households average families right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it can be very different from you know very tech savvy family you know people who work at google which on average you know are very tech savvy compared to families that don't come from these backgrounds right so that was one thing like that that helped us like showcase examples of real families real kids and you know real parents and make a case for like why thinking from the grounds up with with kids in mind like and designing the experience appropriately made, makes sense we were able to show examples and then the second learning i would say is power of storytelling mm-hmm. and designers especially are is like equipped to do this better mm-hmm. than anyone else right so one of the things that we did for youtube kids is we created like product story video and the motivation for creating this was we were having these like back and forth conversations with various people in the company around like what's the best way to design this experience right and we you know the design strategist that partnering with uh, came up with this idea of like hey what if like you know we tell this in the form of a story it was almost like creating an ad for the product Mm -hmm. before it was built right and showcasing like how the product fits into people's lives uh, using real examples we created a product story video. It was a very low fidelity video. We took in like pictures of a real family in a real household environment and, you know, put in mocks of screens, how, you know, a kids, you know, kid-friendly experience designed from the ground up. 
could could fit into this you know, family mm-hmm. usage of YouTube. And by the end of like watching this two minute video, you know, people's mindset would completely change mm-hmm. and got a lot of adoption. Like it was watched by like two thousand people within the company. Oh, wow. And the conversation shifted from the arguments around like the, the nuances or the numbers or the spreadsheets and the documents where we would list out the pros and cons and so on into something more human, more relatable. This like product story helped achieve that shift in conversation mm-hmm. and getting that buy-in. So I think like for early incubation projects, important to paint this picture of mm-hmm. what your product will you know, change in people's lives and how your product would fit in into people's lives, right? Like, because you could have endless conversations in documents, <laughs> then when you visualize it, it, it's a whole different you know, game altogether. Yeah, that's a topic that comes over and over uh, up in the, the podcast about the power of doing or the yeah. power of actually giving an idea texture, right? Yeah. And then create something for people so they can talk about it. It right. has to be the final result, right? Yeah. yeah. So like you guys did it with the video, right? Yeah. You, you know, you had that, you were equipped to you know, visualize it, make it tangible for people. Right. Right. And then you could, you have a story to tell, right? And you, yeah. can, you can present it and people yeah. can you know, emphasize with you know, what the actual solution, when it would, how right. it would benefit the user. And I think this is a unique you know, skill set of you know, a unique aspect of design. I think yeah. the, the ability to you know, take an idea and make it painted on a wall, right? And then yeah. talk about it and then you can take things further, right? And things like, okay, how does it actually has to look like to make it uh, reality? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's super interesting. Yeah. And then this was not your only project you were sort of incubating at uh, Google. I think, right. I think like <laughs> afterwards, you did work on, I think, the area around like cooking and right. uh, AI and voice assistant. So yeah, what was that story about? So, I mean, I was at YouTube Kids, like I was working on YouTube Kids for like three years. Mm-hmm. And again, I had that itch to kind of like start something new and mm-hmm. take it from, you know, a scratch or zero stage to getting into something like more solid and defined. And fortunately at Google, like there is a startup incubator called Area 120. Mm-hmm. And I transitioned from YouTube kids to join Area 120. A full-time. Mm-hmm. A full-time, yeah. Mm-hmm. And first joined as a entrepreneur in residence without necessarily having a solid idea in mind. Mm-hmm. I had like a range of ideas. Mm-hmm. So you sort of qualified by, you know, entrepreneuring YouTube kids. Was that your, your qualification to university, right? To, to join them, right? Uh, maybe. Without any idea, right? Because yeah. you said like you were just joining them, but right. you still had to figure out what the topic is going to be. Yeah. 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 So it was, it was uh, actually fortunate to be, you know, to be able to join that program in that yeah. way. And as I was looking at like a, a range of ideas, one thing that struck me was, you know, conversational assistants were gaining traction. At that point in time, from a... But 2015 or 2016? 2016. Yeah. So smart speakers were out there. Google Home, Alexa Mm -hmm. speakers, right? And what I realized was based on my own usage of it, I found from an input-output modality perspective, found just the audio-only interactions quite constraining. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like very effective at, at certain things when you want to, you know, get information at a glance or when you want to compare options. Or when you want to perform a series of tasks, the audio-only input output was very ineffective and slow. So my hypothesis was, 
how can we you know create audio visual assistant experiences and the 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 thinking was you know people have millions of households have tablets that are sitting there collecting dust when when they're not being put to use mm-hmm. how can we turn those you know tablets uh, into ambient assistants mm-hmm. uh, that can sit in your households right mm-hmm. and can you know help you in various contexts Mm-hmm. and to limit the scope or focus the scope we uh, pitched the idea of like picking kitchen as a context and one of the things that i looked at was almost like 50% of the speakers smart speakers were already being put in kitchens oh really okay yeah. kitchen is the 50% of the device at, at that point in time like okay maybe uh, change with the audio only experiences right and i could also see like myself like you know in, in the kitchen like your hands are busy you're mm-hmm. multitasking So it made a lot of sense like for people to have this yeah. assistant in, in that context so we focused on that created this audio visual kitchen assistant and i think like i mean to to go back to your question around like the role of design in in uh, creating this kitchen assistant i would say like from day one we've been like very used to the ground right like there was probably like so we were on this 8 month journey within area 120 which is the incubator where almost every single day we were interacting and with the end users right so we were meeting families we had families testing out our products it was a very human centered like a design process of uh, you know uh, taken up and other than me there were three other engineers who were part of the founding team and for them it was also fascinating because they are part of these sessions with you know customers or end users directly and they would observe the issues you know mm-hmm. first hand mm-hmm. and by the time we come back to the office like they 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 already know like what needs to be done mm-hmm. <laughs> they're already working on like refining the experience and so on so uh it was a very interesting experience very scrappy you know very interesting experience mm-hmm. yeah i think like you know by adopting like this very user centered approach i think we've learned a ton around uh, limitations and also how these ambient displays which are a very new medium people were engaging with in their households how should like if at all like there were ambient displays in a home context mm-hmm. how should that experience be we were able to come up uh, or define principles around those and one of like uh, the things that came up was how these you know ambient displays need to kind of like blend into your home environment not stand out be disruptive to to where you are living and <laughs> one like funny incidents was like we had these ambient displays that were on all all the time and we would hear like complaints from people who had pets and how their pets would get like distracted with this light coming out uh-huh. at, at night time just like look at it yeah and you know uh, the household like they would just turn off the device altogether right like mm. despite the benefits they were seeing with an ambient display that was you know surfacing information that might be relevant for them like knowing when to show when to hide into the background was an interesting learning so there were a lot of like these learnings that we able to gather mm-hmm. during that time and all these learnings i think you know were super helpful in in creating like kitchen assistant that was actionable it was helpful to do tasks like uh, cooking so if you find a recipe that you like being able to act on it so we were working on like providing like video recipe guidance taking you through these like step by step tasks mm. and answering questions in the context mm-hmm. so uh, with all these learnings like the the google assistant team looked at what we have done or accomplished in that period of time mm-hmm. and they essentially acquired our team to kickstart a vertical 
uh, within the Google Assistant arc to focus on kitchen and meals vertical. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Actually, the first guest on this address was the first designer of the Amazon Echo. Oh, so I see. we talked a lot about AI and design, about uh, prototyping, yeah. parts of prototyping. Yeah. So since you worked also in that space, I'm wondering your what are your you know, principles and learning when it comes to designing experiences uh, with AI? Yeah, I mean, um, I think with specific to conversational assistants, I can definitely go a bit deeper. I think like with AI, given like the context and the application yeah, of yeah, it, yeah. it could yeah. be like yeah. a different... But, like, Regarding, I think, the, the, the kitchen scenario and the, the context you worked in. Oh, okay, sure. Um, so with the assistant and the kitchen context, I think a like, few of the things that I could uh, talk about are modalities and understanding like user's context. They're actually cooking at the moment. Yeah, or, you know, yeah, exactly. Uh, and and also, you know, in general, like kitchen is a communal space mm-hmm. uh, where there could be like multiple family members gathering. So designing an ambient display that would cater to the needs of different family members was really key. Mm-hmm. We didn't like achieve it or like build it in the first instance, but that was something that was thought was an important thing to address. Mm-hmm. So being able to, you know, when it comes to information needs, you know, if you if you have kids and like two adults or parents in the family, how could like the ambient display like cater to the the, the different needs uh, mm-hmm. that each of these household members might have well, it was an interesting design challenge mm-hmm. and i think like the second thing is like when you think about modalities and in general like assistant interactions one of the principles is we should focus on use cases where assistant is the best way to get things done compared to alternatives mm-hmm. right if uh, touching is the you know, easiest way to get things done, mm-hmm. could focus on it or, or, you know, we should prioritize it. But at the same time, in the kitchen context, knowing out of all the modalities like touch, voice, ice, like a visual, mm-hmm. what modalities are available at what time and adapting like the experience so that you could take that into consideration. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is like contextual, right? Like say you're in the middle of cooking a recipe and you ask the assistant um, how much olive oil like the assistant needs to be able to know the context of, oh, this is the recipe you're cooking. This is the amount of oil, olive oil that's specified. And when you say like, what can I replace olive oil with? Like it needs to know yeah. for a, you know, based on the dish that you're cooking, yeah. <laughs> what might be suitable substitutes, yeah. right? So there are all these things like that. We didn't get it like right away, but as we observed, like, it's people using it, mm-hmm. yeah. Just real sound. Right? Yeah. And the other thing was like, you know, one of the use cases that we were focusing on was help me decide what to cook. Mm-hmm. One of the things yeah. we... Classic, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Like, you know, out of all the needs that you have uh, in the kitchen context, this need kind of like bubbled to the top. People like struggle with like coming up with new ideas for what to cook. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, to address this, what we, you know, experimented with was we worked with Google chefs mm-hmm. to curate recipe recommendations okay. depending on uh, diet profiles of families. And <laughs> so you put us into the canteen. Right? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. It's almost, so uh, yeah, our you know, vision was to create this virtual sous chef that takes into account your dietary preferences, your family's uh, household like preferences and uh, what you might have in your kitchen mm-hmm. at the staples. Uh, and then recommend dishes, right? And we realized, you know, none of the che- chef recommendations were working. 
mm-hmm. because you, you don't know, have enough data for it. It was actually interesting because you know the the families that we were studying with would say actually all the recommendations were relevant for us, but then we can't really act on them because we ra- ran out of those ingredients. Yeah, uh, or you know we don't have them today. So I would like bookmark that recipe and then maybe cook it later. Then one of our goals was like you know to have a assistant like that would recommend actionable things. So um, simple recipes then. Yeah, would be actionable. Yeah. And, and, and so one feature that we built was to look at the groceries that you buy mm-hmm. and recommend recipes based on the groceries that you buy. Mm-hmm. So we worked on this feature where you can just scan the, rece- the receipt from your grocery shopping, your phone, uh, assistant on your phone. And then by the time you get back home, the smart display in your kitchen would recommend recipes based on the things that you just bought. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, so That's that was... Interesting work around. Yeah. Because, I mean, obviously there's a trend around like cameras and fridges and so on. Right, right. But like scanning, uh, yeah. Uh, and I think if you do it 10 times, you probably have everything you have in, in store. Probably. Exactly, yeah, yeah. But again, like, you know, we didn't necessarily are experimenting, uh, experiment uh, with that idea at scale. So I think like that canning piece can still have friction. And if you can link your grocery account or somehow like gather this automatically, that's I think like more powerful than having to scan a receipt still expects something that people are not used to doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you have to sort of get reminded yeah. after leaving the grocery. Exactly. Maybe you can work with Google Maps. <laughs> I think what's also interesting, now you actually shift to enterprise again, right? Right. Um, so what is, you know, what does you know, excite you about that space? Because that, you know, we haven't worked in that space before, right? Yeah, now, yeah. Now it's it's a whole new world. Sort of, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like the shift to enterprise was, mm, I mean, not what I thought. Like the, the, the thing that excited me most was the, so right now I work on, uh, Google Maps or Geo as a product area. Mm-hmm. And the vertical that I'm focused on is transportation and urban mobility. Mm-hmm. So I find this space like super fascinating, especially with all the changes in the rapid innovation that happened over the last like seven, eight years mm-hmm. in the world of transportation and mobility. Mm-hmm. I think like there is, it's still like this whole industry is in the, in the infancy of transformation, right? But what I find fascinating is you know, the ability to influence how people move, how goods move in, in real world. But at the same time, it's like, I find it like super complex. And it, and it took me quite a bit of time like to understand like factors that influence the markets, the nuances and of each transportation mode mm-hmm. and how like Google, like, as Google, like you could leverage our expertise to influence how we move and, and get things done in the world. Mm-hmm. And can you use some of your, I guess like you can take a lot of your, your past learnings also. Yeah, absolutely. Um, into, in, in that work now, right? Even though it's a completely different space. Yeah. Yeah, I think like, you know, when designing for enterprises, like this whole aspect of like service design comes into picture, right? Mm-hmm. Like how can we enable the transportation operators better serve needs of end users? So it could be backend systems. It could be, you know, the things that end users might not know or see. Mm-hmm. but could have a huge implications on like the how the end users experience the systems right mm-hmm. so we currently like uh, uh, create solutions for ride hailing industry mm-hmm. then we're also looking at uh, what else we could do with other modes of transportation mm-hmm. and we talk a lot about the difference between b2c and b2b yeah so if there would be one learning for you uh, one takeaway you know moving from uh, in that new space what would it be 
you know, as a you know, as a designer, as you know, yeah, as a the role of designer, what does it change like moving into that space? Yeah, I think with B two C, what I find is like the pace at which you act on the insights that you gather is is defined by you, mm-hmm. and, and you are in control of that. When it comes to B two B. You kind of need to predict and you need to be ahead of, of the curve and predicting like what the enterprises or the mm-hmm. customers might need. And, you know, in a, in a world where these enterprises and customers are moving at a fast pace, it's a very competitive landscape. Mm-hmm. How do you identify a set of solutions that you as a company can offer to these customers and get those built in time? Mm-hmm. to be adopted and, and uh, provide like meaningful value to these companies mm-hmm. I think is a interesting challenge yeah, yeah I don't think we've cracked it but you know it, it's an interesting design challenge mm-hmm. maybe to to wrap it up uh, what would be your your advice for young people who want to get into design um I think one of the things I was alluding to earlier I find like I found myself like super beneficial is this mindset around approaching problems from a holistic point of view mm-hmm. so for young designers or you know young students who want to get into design I think finding programs or support group or network of people who can kind of like push your thinking and mindset to look at problems from multiple angles and multiple perspectives i think is going to be very important and i think you know whether you you want to get into a specialized role in an area of design or if you want to you know become a more of a generalist this mindset this holistic mm-hmm. thinking mindset i think will, will be super important mm-hmm. uh, nonetheless right mm-hmm. so that that i would say is is one advice i would give to young designers and i think like you know conferences like these uh, you senior conference or meetups where you get to talk to how people are approaching problems from different angles will help further that skill set and mindset awesome <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing all this absolutely fascinating sense thank you it was awesome we're talking about all these topics thank you that was the episode if you want to give us feedback on the podcast have something to contribute to the next episode, or just want to get in touch, feel free to connect with us either on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram messages, or simply via the designdrives.org website. We love to hear from you.